Hi everyone, before we start the episode, just to uh, let you know, halfway through the what we've been playing and buying section, we realised that we booked a room next to a concert, so you may hear some singing in the background. Hello and welcome to episode 15 of the Offline Gamer. I'm Ray, as usual. And I'm Matt, also as usual. Am I usual? Nah, debatable. <laughs> this week we've got a special guest. It's our roving reporter, and also the man behind the Great Indoors event, which we talked about a few months ago. And that is Pete. Hi, Pete. Hello. I think the man behind the legend of the Great Indoors oh, yeah, would yeah, be yeah. fairer, but yeah. The legend, yeah. <laughs> Not the first member of your family to appear on this podcast, either. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> I remember now what you're referring to. Yes, uh, you may have heard uh, my young daughter in a previous episode when you were recording <laughs> Richard Denning at uh, yes. the Great Indoors. Yeah, apologies for that. That's all right. She's welcome on any time. <laughs> so what's new and happening since the last episode? So I'll start with uh, a Kickstarter that we talked about before and we... Uh, have done a video of and we talked to the guys at the UK Games Expo was the guy who did Battle of the Bands yeah. so that game had, due to a copyright dispute had to be renamed because <laughs> mm. there's, there's another game called Battle of the Bands okay. that was also, also very on recently on Kickstarter yeah so they changed the name to Band Manager Backstage Clash is that not the kind of thing that you check before you launch well, a Kickstarter campaign because it was it is quite a high profile game and it has been around for a number of years apparently so yeah but at the same time, it's also a very common yeah. turn of phrase. But never mind. <laughs> it is. But I mean, I guess you can copyright the, its use in the board game space. Mm. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Is the Kickstarter still going for it, though, Matthew? It is. I think by the time people hear this, though, it'll be just over. Has it funded thus far? Almost. Almost. Yeah. It's like a £1,000 away. Ah, OK. I think they had a £15,000 uh, target... And they were so close to hitting it. So the last couple of days, because there's, there's normally like you normally get a big rush at the beginning, and then it sort of just levels out for the yeah. remainder, and then at the end it will jump back up again. So the last forty-eight hours, yeah, because there's plenty of podcasts and websites that just do the last forty-eight hours. Yeah, and of course, Kickstarter reminders. There's also been. Not sure how interesting this will be or how good of a feature it will turn out to be, but Kickstarter have launched a Kickstarter Live feature, which seems to basically be like Facebook Live or Periscope, except for Kickstarter. So so people with projects can do live streaming? Yeah, on the Kickstarter website to sort of say, well... uh, there's There's not very many up there at the moment, so there are some that are like Q&As and some that are basically, hi guys, this is us, this is introducing the gang or whatever, and a couple of things that are basically like quick show show and tell of how the thing that they're kickstartering is working. I guess there'll be quite a few game demos going on there then. I think it could be a good tool for that because also it, it will save the videos as well so you can watch them all again later um, if you don't catch them actually live. Oh, yeah. Okay. So what are they hoping to achieve by a new live feature as opposed to just regular videos? Um, 
not entirely sure. <laughs> there is a video in amongst all of the videos that's by Kickstarter introducing Kickstarter Live. Yeah. Should probably watch that then. <laughs> yeah. It's it seems to be um it might work, it might not work. If it announces to people who are following the project that they are going live, then I guess fair enough. Yeah. But I don't know. I think it's mostly for campaigns that haven't finished. Yeah. So most of the, I've only got one live campaign at the moment, so I very much doubt that I'm going to get any notifications. Maybe it's an attempt at a sort of a marketing boost. If your game that you're backing or that you're uh, launching on Kickstarter is on the live, maybe it'll attract more attention. Yeah, maybe it, it's sort of like a, adding a... You could say adding like a human element to, so you can mm. see people speaking and talking a bit more naturally than sometimes the, the Kickstarter videos that yeah. are on like the head of the page, which are sometimes quite scripted mm. and look a bit wooden. Well, there are a lot of games who've used it already by the looks of it. Yeah. So, yeah. I'm not sure why you wouldn't just use like Facebook Live or something and then just put out an update saying, oh, we're going to be on Facebook. Or not YouTube everybody Live. likes Facebook. Well, that's true. <laughs> Speaking of Facebook, did you want to mention the, the weird turn of events with Facebook Game Center? Oh yeah, that's really Trying odd. To take I saw on that. Steam. Yeah, I saw that today. Um, they've announced a new app for PC that you download, and it lets you play all your Facebook games not in a browser, but in the Facebook Game, game Center. Center app. I'm not quite sure what it says. The articles are over. Like, oh, they're trying to take on Steam, but they're just playing Facebook games. Yeah, <laughs> it's not then, quite the same thing. Then, no, I don't think it's going to be the new. The new DRM platform for AAA games. Oh, I, I definitely not. But I mean, Facebook games—they're a lot better than they used to be because you can you can get decent like first-person shooters or whatever because they use Unity yeah. and they work in in any bro well modern browsers. So, but I, I just well I can't quite see the the point. Mm. People who use Facebook are going to be logged into it twenty-four-seven anyway. I don't know, some people take their Facebook games very seriously. They're, I think they're just, you know, they've got enough money, they can give it a go. And if, That's true. If it doesn't work out, then they're probably not going to, it's not going to make that much of a dent no. in their reputation, I don't think. So I suppose, what else is new? Well, there was there was a big uh, gaming event that happened, apparently. Was there? Yeah, so I heard. Mm. Any ideas about that piece? No, I don't think I've heard of it. No? No. Okay, let's just move on there. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, obviously, Peter's here as our roving reporter who was at uh, Essen this year. Indeed. Uh, he's got lots of notes to tell us all the exciting things that he saw when he was there. <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. So, where do you want to start? Do you want to start your journey out? How was that? <clears throat> was that okay? Well, it was interesting. So, it was only a few weeks before the start of Essen when I was emailing Richard Denning from the Expo and Medusa Games. Uh, about something unrelated, and he happened to say, "While shot in the dark here, are you available to go to the Spiel in Essen uh, to demo?" Because he was short of a guy, and I thought, "Ooh, this is rather good." And he said, "Yeah, we'll, you know, we'll pay for the hotel and the travel and food and everything." <laughs> yeah, so that, that sounds pretty good. So obviously, I checked with my wife first, um, and she was 100 percent behind it. She said, "This is amazing opportunity. Go for it." So anyway, yes, I was offered two options i was offered he said i'll fly you out and that's fine you can join us sort of nearer the start of the show because he'll save money on the hotels if i fly 
or you can come with us in the car. So it'll be a longer trip, obviously. So it was six days. And then I can help with the setup and the dismantling and all the rest of it. So for some strange reason, I thought, this is my first test and I'll do it properly. So I <laughs> went for the driving option. So yeah, so we left on the Monday morning. No, hang on, it would be Tuesday morning, wouldn't it? Be set up on Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah, so left Wednesday morning, got into Essen fairly late. I went to bed because I'm not a, not a night owl. Everybody else went to the bar. <laughs> but yeah, the journey was interesting. We missed the ferry going in both directions. And so we had to wait around. So yeah, it was a bit late when we arrived in Essen. But uh, it, it's not actually all that far. If you drove it in one stint, I mean, we had a couple of stops. So it's only maybe five or six hours from Calais or Dunkirk. Okay. So it's not too bad, actually, because it's very northwest Germany. So it's, you know, as close, close to us as you can think. So that was the journey. And obviously, we then had to, well, we arrived at the Messe in the morning on the Wednesday. And we've got to turn this empty space made up of plain white boards and brand new cheap carpet on the floor covered in, you know, cellophane and stuff to protect it. So the thing about the Medusa and the Expo stand is the Expo do a lot of their business at Essen, sort of uh, booking out space for next year's yeah. Expo. So, you know, before the Expo was getting really well known, they just went to Essen, they had a presence and they just went and talked to people. And now they are just booked solid. You know, they are they book the vast percentage of all of the space for next year's Expo. You know, this is nearly a year ahead. So half of the stand is this little office space where they can do their important negotiations and business talking. And that's with uh, a range of people, uh, from people like Tom Vassell and the Dice Tower to mm. the big games publishers uh, and anybody in between really and then the other half is for medusa games because richard's designs are starting to get a bit more popular people have heard about him as a designer and last year they went with the little card game which is tinker taylor no marketing whatsoever and there wasn't masses of interest so they did some advertising this year and they got a good space for the demos so we were basically we were demoing nine worlds virtually non-stop for you know four days mm. um on the Wednesday, we had to convert that space into something that looked interesting. And one of the things they'd done is they printed off these amazing, I, I don't even know what the material is, but these are very large sort of portrait designs from the board of Nine Worlds. So the art on Nine Worlds is fantastic. And they printed off these beautiful poster type things to stick on the boards. And then there were some uh, UK Games Expo yeah. designs and stuff like that. So by the time we'd finished on the Wednesday, so I don't know, we left five or six o'clock you know went to got some dinner so it was looking pretty good <laughs> when you when you so do they just get obviously everyone's got their allocated space already because yeah. it's all planned out so they just is it all like marked out and say right this is the section you're in I, because i didn't see the hall when it was completely empty but i mean it was pretty clear the size of the mess it's it's a lot bigger than um even the halls at uh at the nec for the expo so it, it feels maybe slightly less cramped, and each of these stands pretty much has got a very clear area. It, it's not exactly marked out, but but it is. Uh, yeah. I can't really explain, but yeah, yeah, it's fairly clear what your area is and what isn't. Okay, so I'm sure you had a great time demoing the games, but I'm sure you had a bit of free time to go and investigate what was going on elsewhere in the uh, convention. I did indeed, yeah. So I actually had the Thursday off, so I got to go and see a few things. I did indeed. First game I wanted to talk about, and this is a bit weird because there's really not much I can tell you about it, but it was really exciting, so I want to share about it. And it's, it's a game that's not got a publisher yet, and it's called Ruthless. Um, 
the reason I was attracted to it was because it's a small stand and these there are big stands there they the stands at the expo pale in comparison to the size of some of these the major companies at Essen they are they've got absolutely huge stands and then you still got the small stands and you've got you know the people who are actually going there just trying to yeah. get a publisher for their games which yeah. is fantastic so i worked out that oh, i'm sure i could have a good time going to the to the big stands but i wanted to go around and see some of the smaller guys and i was attracted to this one because uh i have a reputation in my group for hating deck builders and while that's not entirely true i am you know they have to be quite good in a certain in a certain way for me to be interested. So I saw this game and uh, the tagline was an innovative deck building game with immersive theme and player interaction. I thought, well, yeah, that sounds a bit different. So uh, I went and had a look. So all I can say is, I mean, if you see this guy demoing it anywhere, he's actually English, although I think they're based in Holland. Um, but anyway, if you see this game, and I really hope to hear that it gets picked up by a publisher, he showed me it and it's essentially you're building a deck, um, but essentially to win poker hands. There's more to it than that, but I can't really explain best than that. Um, it's It sounds kind of similar. When I explain it like that, it sounds similar to Doomtown. So if you've played that, it isn't similar at all. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the similarity, yes. But the theme is pirates and improving your deck and plundering and stuff. And it feels like it's got a lot going on. So I really... I hope to hear that that gets picked up one day. So yeah, the, the designer is also the artist. So he's not really a game designer at all. He is an illustrator and an artist, and he's called Roland McDonald. But he designed this game and did the art for it. So obviously that's quite fantastic. Uh, next up, this company, Grublin Games, uh, they're based in Cornwall, and they would have been at the Great Indoors demoing their... Well, it was an upcoming Kickstarter uh, called Perfect Crime. Unfortunately, due to a family emergency, they didn't make it to the Great Indoors. Uh, but anyway, that was top of my list of things to go and see. Yeah. Again, you know, fairly small stand. They're a they're a small family company, and they need to, you know, get the most uh, bang for their buck. So anyway, I got in quite early on the Thursday, and I went and had a demo of Perfect Crime, which is a one versus many bank heist game. And I don't know if you guys do this, but sometimes I think, oh, that would be a great theme for a game. I wish somebody would make that. And I, I thought of that a while ago about a sort of a bank heist theme. It sounded great, and I hadn't really heard of any games. Yeah. So when I heard about this, I thought, that is fantastic. So one player is the bank, and they're obviously trying to guard their jewels. The other players, I'm not sure what the player count goes up to, but it's maybe four or five, possibly. So it's two to five on BGG. Two to five, so, yeah. yeah. All the other players are working together, fully co-op in that respect, obviously working against the bank, but they are doing a range of things in order to attempt to heist on the bank. So although I was still only playing a prototype, it did look great. It was really good, although, you know, some placeholder art instead of the final art, but it, it was really good. But I tell you what, it was just, it was brilliant fun. So the guard of the bank is working on upgrading their CCTV, they're installing different types of locks there. Right, okay. Uh, you know, uh, hiring security guards and all the rest of it. Meanwhile, they're kind of seeing, but mostly not seeing. They're getting a hint of what the other players are doing, trying to break into the bank, but they don't know the specifics. And then the people trying to steal from them, they get to do all sorts of things like, well, beefing up their crew with extra people, buying weapons and gear, different kind of lockpicks. 
uh, one of the things is called planning, and that's essentially investigating flaws in the security system. So we were lucky because, I mean, we played a very condensed game, but we managed to get a plan where we could, right at the start of the heist, you can either go in the entrance or the exit of the bank, and obviously he put, he's got three guards, and he put one of them in the CCTV room, one of them by the exit, and one of them by the entrance. Straight away, our planning allowed us to sort of reallocate where a couple of his guards were, a bit of misdirection, okay. and they went off. And essentially, he never recovered from that. We just <laughs> we managed to disable at least a couple of his guards. And the, the clever thing with this game is not uh, what you can do to each other particularly, but until he sees proof that something has gone wrong, i.e. so he's got somebody in the CCTV room and we walk past one of the cameras in a suspicious manner, or we disable one of his guards and then he finds the body... He can't react to it. His guards don't know yeah. what's going on, so they don't get drawn towards what's happening. So it's a really interesting idea, but it was just great fun as well. The game is probably more balanced in the favour of the bank, uh, and probably condensing it in that game allowed us to win it mm. more easily. But that was great fun. I mean, and if you just you can play it in loads of different ways. So if you just want to get a minigun and a load of strong men and just rampage through the bank, you can. Or if you want to just, you know, uh, sneak around the corridors, uh, picking your way through, you know, eye scans and all the rest of it, then you can. Okay, well, that's successfully funded on Kickstarter back in June. Yes, so that's why I bring it up, because although it's been Kickstarted, it's still not out on delivery yet, um, but there will be retail copies available. So this is why it seems a bit different by Grublin, because they've still got stock of... Cornish Smuggler, which was their first game, and Waggle Dance, which I've got, which is really good. So you could go to the Aston Spiel, and not only are they demoing their next game, but they, you know, you can still pick up copies of their old games, yeah. which is great because that's one of the frustrating things about Kickstarter, isn't it? If you don't yeah. get to back something, yeah. you, you may not ever get a copy. Yeah, a lot of them just don't make it through to retail. Don't yeah, they? precisely. So yeah, that was that was fantastic. So yeah, I'm, so I really hope this year I, they should be at the Great Indoors next year. I mean, they haven't they haven't agreed yet, but that's the hope anyway. Yeah. And hopefully they'll then have uh, retail copies available to sell. Hmm. Hopefully of all three of their games, because they they had a very big presence this year at UKGE, mm. and I kept walking past going, I want to play that game, I want to <laughs> play that game, and they were busy every single time I walked yeah, past, and sucks. I didn't get a chance to play Cornish Smuggler, and I just I couldn't quite convince myself to to buy it having not had a test play fair enough yeah so i can't speak for corner smuggler because i've not played it myself although somebody in my group does own it so i could get around to playing it but based yeah. on waggle dance essentially i mean it's kind of light medium game but it's very well designed so didn't waggle dance win one of the ukg awards it not did. this year last yes, year yes because it's a couple of years old now yes it might have been a family game category yeah i think so because it was it was there the first time we and matt me and matt went last year so yeah. 2015 and i'm pretty sure it won but that's what's great something. about those kind of games because although it's it's very accessible and you can play it with you can play it with gateway gamers you can play it with younger people you can also play it with hardcore gamers and you know and it takes on a slightly different feel to yeah. it so it's, it's very good yeah best family game last year last year say. well that deserves it so based on my experience with perfect crime as well i think that's another another winner personally but anyway we'll have to see one of the things I saw that really caught my eye, which wasn't actually a game, which is a bit weird, I, I know there are loads of stands at the expo that aren't uh, necessarily purely you know, game-related. I don't tend to get drawn to those, so like comics and things, yeah. I'm not into at all. I can see why people would be, but I'm not. Uh, but anyway, I was just walking past the stand and I saw these fantastic 3D puzzles uh, and particularly caught my eye because um, a lot of them were Harry Potter-themed. 
so <laughs> it's just these things there some of the smaller ones are sort of 450 500 pieces but you could construct most of the major so you get you've got Diagon Alley and you've got the Hogwarts Express and the Astronomy Tower you can build Hogwarts in your own home and it looks fantastic <laughs> oh you sent me a photo of uh, that I did actually. yeah how big are they they are quite big I mean some of the smaller ones um dimension wise I mean Diagon Alley is obviously quite long and thin but it you'd need somewhere in your home to be doing it in the meanwhile yeah. because I'm not sure how quickly you could do it and also I think you'd probably want to keep it up for a while because it looks so great. Okay. <laughs> but anyway, they've, they're, these are interesting. So they're called Rebbit 3D Puzzles and if Harry Potter's not your thing then they've got all sorts. They've got, you know, the Eiffel Tower, Empire State Building, uh, lots of it, Neuschwanstein Castle, which is the uh, castle behind um, Mad King Ludwig. So it's beautiful German castle. So, I mean, it's a bit crazy. So... I don't think my wife listens to this, but uh, I saw that and I thought immediately of my wife because she loves puzzles and she loves Harry Potter. I, I already knew what I was getting her, so my mum got her Diagon Alley. <laughs> so <laughs> I know that that's going to be a hit. And they're not too bad, are they? 450 pieces. Oh, it's, it looks very detailed, yeah. It's No, it is. It's beautiful. It really... And they also had a, a prize thing, so that was really nice. So you had to answer a few questions based on the models that they had up um, to enter the prize. But yeah, you could you could win one, which sadly I didn't. But uh, no, that was really nice. Oh, the white, they've got the White House. Oh, the White House, lovely. And Sydney Opera House. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you could probably find something in there you're interested. I mean, Taj Mahal, good grief. How many pieces is that? 950. <laughs> You've got the Citadel of Minas Tirith as well. Oh, wow. So What's what, that? Oh, Lord of the Rings. Lotra. So if you were at all interested in this, I would recommend having a look up. So it's Rebit, W-R-E-B-B-I-T, because they are fantastic to yeah. look at. And you probably wouldn't appreciate that when you look at the box, obviously, because it's a bit different. Yeah. Then I went and saw, you know, I am not... Uh, a famous person in the board game world but I got to enjoy seeing a couple of people who I knew I know it's shocking um, but so I saw Martin from Geek and Son the gaming table manufacturers oh, yes. so I've known him for a couple of years now because back when it was a fledgling business so he's based in Malvern and he just basically said you know to buy a table from Geek Chic which I think were the only company back then doing this kind of thing in America would cost $10,000 or you know a lot of money and shipping yeah so he saw a gap in the market and he formed this company with his brother who'd make it in Poland and then they'd ship you know, to the EU much cheaper. So anyway, he brought one of his prototype tables to Bromsgrove Board Gamers back in the day when we were still meeting at the Hot Pole Inn. That was an interesting day because the, the room that we were in was this tiny little room upstairs. But the flight of steps was one of those outside metal ones and we were lugging this huge, great... <laughs> gaming table which is obviously quite heavy and it's got led lighting and all sorts in it so yeah that was that was fun yeah <laughs> but anyway he brought he brought to his prototype dennis table to our no to our group and that was fantastic so i've known him since then and they have just gone on leaps and bounds they've got a, a catalog now with you know umpteen different tables they've got stools they've got benches they've got luxury dice towers and i mean i'm talking luxury they're huge they're ridiculous <laughs> absolutely fantastic yeah and they're they're one of the is it the associate sponsors of ukg for next year or one of the main sponsors Ooh, they're well, they're a flavor of sponsor well that's interesting so that tells you everything because yeah. i went and saw him at essen and he said it was going really well if, if you can afford even associate sponsorship it suggests you're yeah. doing something right they are an 
they are an associate sponsor. But even so, I mean, that's yeah. Yeah, from a couple from a couple of years ago. Yeah, that's that's a huge. They've grown. Yes, it's a big <laughs> exponential growth. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they're not cheap. They are cheaper than uh, you know the previous ones that are available. There was another company also selling gaming tables at Essen, which wasn't Geek Chic, although I didn't pay that much attention. I didn't think he'd forgive me for doing that. But um, <laughs> So I don't know if they're competing on price or maybe on the quality or whatever. Uh, it's obvious that Geek and Sun are still, they're doing very well. And they've got this flashy new website where you can see all their all their tables. You can heavily customize however you want to do them. So the way I've always thought about it, we've got a nice kitchen table and we don't have a huge house, so we're not going to be buying one yet. But if we were to be moving house at some point and we wanted a new table, then I might be able to swing it that we then get a gaming table. <laughs> yeah, see, at the moment, me and um, Chris and me, we live in rented accommodation, so if we go somewhere where we would have to buy our own table for dining, um, <laughs> there's only two of us, but we obviously have to have a very big table for, for guests if they come round. Well, of course, yeah, yeah. And, um, <laughs> Uh, they those geek and sun tables. They're they're a good size for for, yeah. for guests. <laughs> you can you can tell I'm I'm slowly planning this pitch in my mind. Um, good luck with that. <laughs> so when we move, it'll be like, oh, we need a dining table. Oh, well, there's this great company. Um, they're 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 fairly local. Malvin's not that far. No. Um, and and they're they're very multi multifunctional tables. <laughs> Yes, and I forgot they do coffee tables as well. So yeah. if you couldn't afford a proper gaming table, then you could you could get a, a coffee table, sort of, you know, halfway house. Yeah. I mean, Geek Chic obviously get a lot of coverage from Tabletop because they mm. provide the tables. So every, every single time you see an overhead view, yeah, um, you get one. So maybe we should do a deal. <laughs> I like so it. for all of our unboxing videos, it Absolutely. could have Geek, uh, um, Geek, Geek and, and Sun in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Quite right. But then, then we'd have to have two tables because we have two locations oh, for that's filming. True. Oh, that's a shame, isn't it? <laughs> so one of the things I really enjoyed from Essen um, was just meeting new people. So, I mean, most of the people from Medusa Games I'd never met before, which is a bit of a strange experience going abroad with people I barely know. <laughs> you know, I have been to Germany before, but not not, not often. Yeah, it was a little bit weird. So I was I was in the car, nearly arriving in Essen. I was wondering, what the hell am I doing here? You know, this is a bit weird. I'm in a car with a person I know a little bit, and then basically two other people I don't know at all. And I'm about to join this whole team of people I don't know. Anyway, they're all lovely, and it was great to meet them. But I got to meet other people as well. So the first night, uh, that was the Thursday night, so I hadn't been working. So I hadn't spent all day at uh, the show because I knew I was going to be absolutely knackered by the time I needed to be on form. So I was working for the the rest of the three days with very minimal breaks. So I went back uh, and in sort of late afternoon, I went down. And this is one of the things that Expo has that's very different to Essen because Essen does not have open gaming areas. They used to, apparently. I didn't know this, but a few years back, it was much more sort of the structure of the Expo, but bigger. Yeah. Uh, they've moved away from that very deliberately to pretty much just being a trade show. So over the years, people who stay in a range of hotels around Essen, obviously they want somewhere to do some gaming because you can't do it at the show. Not really. So if you ever want to sit down at Essen, you've got to do a demo, and the demos are pretty much slammed the whole time. Yeah. So if you just want to sit down and game somewhere, well, don't, forget it. Yeah. 
it's obviously paid off because there's obviously this huge influx. It's a fairly small town, really, yes, and there's a huge influx every October of uh, slightly nerdy gamers arriving and who want to get some gaming done. Slightly? Yeah, just slightly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't speak for everybody else. I'm slightly nerdy. Okay. <laughs> so we were staying at the Holiday Inn, and a sign went up on the day before saying, gaming room this way, available, you know, 10 a.m. till 2 a.m. or something crazy like that. So they had this, they had the one room and then they opened up another one because there were so many people wanting to game. You could order your food and drinks into it and it was brilliant. So anyway, I went down to this room to find out what was going on and see if I could make some friends. <laughs> I was looking a bit lonely and, uh, and there were these two chaps playing a, a game that sort of, it just enticed you in. It just looked really good. And it was called Small Star Empires. Uh, I've since found out this was indeed uh, a Kickstarter as well. Okay. Um, however, uh, I don't know if uh, copies are still available, but I obviously bought my retail at the show. But anyway, I'd never heard of it. I would never have found it because it was a tiny stand in a corner of one of the smaller halls from a company I've never heard of and a designer I've never heard of. But I, I met these two guys and they were really friendly and I sat down and we started playing it. And if you've ever played Hey, That's My Fish, it does seem a little bit derivative. I don't mean that in a harsh way. It, there are similarities. So you start off with your home world. Uh, one of the things I like straight away is that the board is made up of hexes. They're all double-sided, so every setup that you do, and you put them out randomly, is going to be a bit different. Um, essentially, you've got your spaceships, and you start on your home world. Every time you move, and you can move as far as you want, as long as you're going in a straight line, every time you move, you then put either a colony out or a space station out onto the uh, area you've just arrived on. And there are a range of where you score points. But essentially, you can't cross over other people's spaces you can never revisit where you've been so you're trying to get onto the high value spots on the board for a range of different scoring methods but you're also obviously trying not to get blocked in by the other people who are trying to block you in so uh, if you have played hey that's my fish that will sound very similar yeah. the only thing i would say i've played hey that's my fish a lot more but i would say on the basis of a few games now it feels like small star empires is a little bit more there's a bit more variability. I think the games are going to be a bit different because of the variable setup. I know, hey, that's my fish is variable and the, the tiles go out in a random order. But for starters, you have those different hexes. And then there are a whole load of variants that come in the box. So you can throw in wormholes and black holes and then you can do stuff where, you know, it's taking damage and stuff like that. So it feels like there might be yeah, more varied play going forward. It's uh, just looking on the geek. There's copies available in the marketplace for around twenty five, thirty pound. So that's not bad. Uh, that's cheaper than I bought it for. <laughs> okay. Um, so it's funny. Well, that's not including delivery, though. Well, okay. It's it is a small box game, and that's brilliant. You can't own that many big box games. Yeah. I wouldn't normally have paid what I paid for it, which was thirty euros. Um, but I played it, and I knew how much fun it was. Yeah. So you know, if I'd gone to see this game, I would never have bought it. Yeah. For 30 euros, I, I bought a, a proven game that I really enjoy. And they were also offering for an extra two euros, you got a whole new sort of um, luxury wooden pieces to go with it, which I certainly paid. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> the thing with that is, obviously you can either replace your plastic pieces with those wooden pieces, or you can use them for another game if you want, mm -hmm. or it also allows you to do a sort of team mode. So you both take one set of red and the other people take one set each of blue. So then... Yeah, it's interesting. And there's also a campaign mode on it as well. So it just feels like there's a lot going on in that small box. I would say it was worth it for sort of £20, £25. I wouldn't 
want to pay more than 30 odd euros yeah. or mm-hmm. pounds but yeah no, it's good fun there's a picture here of someone who's combined two copies of the game together oh, wow. to make an absolute huge board as well <laughs> that so. is a great idea <laughs> But you're going to have to buy a copy, I think, you know, if we're going to do that, because yeah. <laughs> I'm not paying that again. Okay. <laughs> Obviously, that was fantastic as well. Um, these two guys that had this game were aspiring game designers, and they were at Essen trying to get publishers for their games. And uh, so I also got to play their unpublished prototype, which I guess I can't tell you much about because I had to sign an NDA. But um, it was great fun. It was essentially your building... Uh, a little pirate ship uh, with certain capabilities. You're loading it up with crew and cannons and and gear, and you're you're trying to loot and and go and get stuff. And then when you've got loot, you then need to quickly get over to your island and bury it because other people can steal it from oh, you okay. and all the rest of it. And then there are sort of neutral ships that you also attack to get loot from as well. <laughs> it's great fun. I just hope they get published because that, that's brilliant. Have you got? Do you know the, these guys' names? Have you got? Uh, yes, I do. It is. <laughs> Matt and Mike. Okay. <laughs> um, so I can't remember their names off the top of my head, but the company is called Karmic, and that's C-A-R-M-I-K Games. Um, so they've got a couple of... I mean, these are advanced prototypes. You know, they're not beginnings. So they've got that pirate game, and they've also got a sort of Civil War game. It's not a war game, but it's based on the Civil War. I didn't get to play it, but they, they talked me through it. And again, that sounds pretty decent. So uh, they had some productive meetings and some less productive meetings. I mean, I think they went and saw Cosmos, who said, yeah, the game works, it's just not for us. It's not our kind of thing. And you're going to get that. Uh, I think if they go to a big company like that and they're not saying, this game's rubbish, well, you're doing all right. Um, Yep, that's their Civil War prototype there. Um, I think that, in terms of artwork, is probably the more complete game. I'm not sure. I think they're both basically ready. I think they're just doing tweaking on both. So yeah, that was brilliant. So made friends with them and played their game and Small Star Empires. That was a great night. Cool. And I, I wasn't too regretful when uh, um, some of my friends from Medusa came in with a feast for Odin. So I was going up at about eleven o'clock. But, you know, ten o'clock. They said, "Come and play a game of feast for Odin." I was like, "You're joking, right? This is going to take all night. There's no way I'm going to be able to function in the morning." And they they finished at two o'clock. So yeah, I'm not regretful about that. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> And the big game I want to talk about, uh, I've been raving about this, I've actually written a review for it on Board Game Geek as well, uh, is Crisis. And this is yet another Kickstarter game. So one of the things I was urged to do when I found out I was going to Essen was to go on the the Spiel preview sort of geek list on Board Game Geek. And they've got a list of all the games pretty much being published, being released, being demoed. And this page... It was about 32 pages long, this thing. And you can filter out games that you don't want to be updated on anymore. But I mean, it's just ridiculous how many games are being released at Essen. But also how little information there is on each of these games. I mean, so Terraforming Mars and A Feast for Odin. Terraforming Mars is still top of the hotness. It's a you know very popular, it was probably the most talked about game. But I didn't feel like there was anywhere near enough information for me to be buying it uh, you know, without it just sort of being reacting to the hype. Yeah. And that was the difference with Crisis because this was a game that was designed over four or five years, a, you know, a great deal of time. They've taken a lot of care with it and they got Rado to do a run-through. Fantastic. Yeah. So, I mean, whatever you think about Rado, at least you get to, you know, you get a good flavour for the game. 
so I found that they were going to have 115 copies of Crisis available at the at the Spiel, uh, and all the rest were Kickstarter, you know, fulfilments. So I went there when I could find them. I went there straight away on the Thursday morning, and I bought my copy. It's probably the most expensive game I ever bought. It was 65 euros. And I didn't know I was getting the standard game or the deluxe game because okay. they didn't make that clear. But apparently the standard game didn't do too well on the Kickstarter. Everybody wanted the deluxe. And I can see why because it's got absolutely gorgeous components. I mean, you see so you've got food and it looks like bread and you've got little energy bolts for power and chemical bottles and stuff. Fantastic. The board is really thematic and attractive. Uh, but basically it's it's just a great game. So it's... um. A worker placement economic game where there's a common goal you're all trying to save the economy of axia obviously fictional but it's essentially based on the greek financial crisis of 2007-2008 and you're trying to all save this economy uh, but by doing the best so you're still uh, you know going for victory points and you want to do better than your competitors so whether so each round you have a victory point target that you're all aiming for uh, an individual one so in the four player game i think for instance on a certain level you start on 15 points and by the end of round one you need to have got to 18 points actually that's not too bad but next round if it goes up to 25 and two people have actually only got up to 20 and two people reach the target then the whole state of the economy is going to decrease by 10 yeah. So what that happens is you then have an event at every round. And in theory, the economy could crash at any time. If it goes below zero, the economy fails. And everybody could lose the game. Or if somebody has managed to reach the victory point target that round when the economy crashes, then they can win. So it's completely not cooperative. But it's got an interesting, yeah, an interesting feel to it. And it's a really tight worker placement game. So I've played it five times, including solo, and I never play games solo because... I mean, I play computer games solo, but I don't play yeah. board games solo because it feels like a lonely existence. I really enjoyed it, and I would play it solo again. But it's got great interaction. It's just fantastic. I can't uh, can't praise it enough. And the act, uh, the uh, designers are very active on uh, on the geek, and they're responding to, you know, rules questions and stuff. So... At the moment, I couldn't tell you that you'll be able to get a copy, but there is a hope that a bigger distributor will get hold of it and make more available, and I would highly recommend keeping an eye out for that. I like this comment there, mate. Uh, it's not a worker placement game. It's manager placement. <laughs> uh, it's true, because you have your employees who run your businesses that you've just bailed out, but it's your managers that are taking the spots on the board. Right. <laughs> So slightly semantics, but yeah, I can see. But uh, Board Game Geek doesn't have an option for that as a mechanism. So, no, you know. true. <laughs> and this probably brings me to the last thing that I'd want to talk about, which was, unfortunately, there were a couple of thefts uh, while I was at Essen. And Luja Creations, who published Crisis, were one of the victims. And there was R&R games as well were also robbed. So they were robbed on the Saturday, it's the main day, and... Uh, there were suspicious people around asking slightly weird sort of... It sounded like they didn't know what they were asking. So they're asking slightly strange questions, mm. you know, going for a distraction tactic. And Luja Creations, unfortunately, they fell for it. And they left the cash box alone for a few seconds and it got swiped. So that night, 
Their main designer, I don't know how to pronounce his name, David Turksey or Turksey or something like that. He's designed a few games and they stayed up all night and they came up with a prototype called Steal This Game. So it's like a little um, nano game. It's meant to be played on something the size of a postcard and it's a two player game. So you've got the exhibitor who's trying to keep cash hidden in one of four cash boxes and you've got the thief who's rolling dice and trying to basically lift the box and take the cash with it. And if the exhibitor catches the thief while attempting it, basically the, the, the theft will probably fail and the exhibitor will win. So it's a really small nano game. So what they were hoping was to get a some kind of compensation for this <laughs> for yeah. the robbing and sort of make some money back because they're a small company. They can't really afford this kind of thing. And the backing has been fantastic. So not only did they have that game on Kickstarter, but they also... They offered sort of um, packages with some of their previously published games, and you could back a couple of them. Uh, so I also backed Microfilms, which is, again, another little microfilm sort of social deduction type thing. Um, so I backed both of those on Kickstarter. It's now um, expired, but I think they raised over $50,000. You know, it's quite a small campaign, so that was, that was pretty decent. So, yeah, it just shows... I mean, so... Everybody worked together, so they had the whole Ludra Creations team working on this design through the night. Rado came over and did a run through. Board Game Geek uh, let them piggyback on their Wi-Fi because yeah. the, the Wi-Fi in Essen is uh, it's about a hundred euros a day, okay. so <laughs> that would just be insult to injury. Yeah. So that might be why you've seen lots of stuff on Board Game Geek about it because the Geek just fully supported them throughout this, and Ludra Creations said we want to give you some money to. Yeah. to sort of thank you for this and they said no Lose Creations insisted and uh, Board Game Geek said okay well we'll give you some free advertising space so it's just something good can come out of something pretty bad so yeah that was a good story yeah it's I think it went up on pretty much every single Facebook sort of board game chat group as soon as the steal this game Kickstarter went up it was guys go and look at this guys go and back this because these guys got robbed and this is this is how they're trying to recoup their losses and i thought it was it it i mean a it's a very good heartwarming community feeling mm-hmm. type story but also it was very ingenious of them to sort of go we're not going to we're not going to get knocked down by this we're going to do this tonight we're going <laughs> to make a game in a night yeah. and we're going to launch a kickstarter and it wasn't just a sort of piteous kickstarter it was yeah. a we've done something we're making something we are going to we this is a genuine article a proper game that comes like, i think it do, it does just come through on a postcard and then you can cut the bits out yourself well, um, I'm not sure if it's still going to be quite that basic because the the, the Kickstarter went so well that they yeah. are sort of souping it up a bit. But yeah, I think it will still be, in essence, a really small uh, yeah. postcard-type game. And then just offering people better... I think the with the packages with their previous games, mm. they were better than show prices oh, yeah. as well. Oh, yeah, really cheap. Yeah. Um, and some, like... I'm not particularly familiar with many of their previous games, but I was looking through the collection going, actually, all these games look pretty good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're a bit different. Some of the designs are quite interesting. Yeah, so hope, well, I hope they bounce back from it yeah. fully and more. Well, they made a lot more on Kickstarter than they lost, didn't they? So. Yeah. Yeah, but I guess how much of that translates yeah. to profits? Profits, yeah. Because they, they've got to make the game yeah. and stuff like that. 
So yeah, that was my Essen experience. Yeah, yeah. Then you had to pack up and come back home. Oh gosh. So, <laughs> and do you know what? The packing actually didn't take it that long. But unbeknownst to us, they did introduce this new um, system where you had to register and t- get a number for when your van was allowed to come into the Mesa and load up your gear at the end of the Sunday. Uh, we didn't know that, so when we registered, we were number 86 in Hall 6, which was one of the smaller halls. <laughs> so we packed up as much as we could, and then we had to wait a couple of hours for the van to get in. Okay. <laughs> anyway, so once we were packed up, and we got to a hotel outside Bruges by quarter to one in the morning, <laughs> and then we're leaving at seven again. Oh, amazing hotel, but n- not a great value <laughs> night, because we were yeah. on our way again seven hours later. But uh, yeah, it wasn't too bad. I, I'm not sure that I'll do the drive again, but uh, it was certainly an experience. Yeah, I think isn't there? There's you can get to Dusseldorf from Birmingham. That's right. And then and then it's a taxi. It's not far yeah. from Dusseldorf or, or a train if you want. Yeah. 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 Without any bias, I, I think um, I'm not biased in this respect. I prefer the expo. Okay. It's just more what I would want from my kind of event, and I wouldn't necessarily say that. Uh, a gamer would need to go to Essen. It's a, certainly an experience. I think the expo is brilliant, and it's on such a. It's growing so fast, and they're going to do great new things next year. They're always adding things into the expo. I would say, first and foremost, make sure you go to the expo, and then if you want a bit of a different experience, it's certainly that. Yeah, because I think I've looked at Essen and I thought, well, there's nowhere to play games. Yeah. There's nowhere to play games. It costs a bit of a fortune to get there, and now with the pound worsening, actually the games aren't really any cheaper there either. Yeah, so I sort of talked myself out of it on the basis that <laughs> I would rather have space to sort of chill yes. as opposed to just non-stop, stall after stall after stall, especially when it, it's designed, as you say, more to be a trade show than anything. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not pitching games and I'm not publishing games, so I'm just sort of in that middle yeah. space oh yeah if you were a, a publisher or involved in the industry it would be a must attend but uh, as a punter in, in Britain I don't know maybe yeah. maybe not okay so thanks Pete for your Essen review and thank you for coming on and being our roving reporter you're very welcome we're going to talk about our usual stuff so feel free to chip in at any time uh, so now we're going on to what we've been playing and buying I actually have stuff to talk about, but we'll go for Matt first. Okay, so I got the Mafia 3 after we saw the video of it at um, EGX. EGX. It's okay. It's okay. I don't think, well, I'm not as gripped with it as I was with Mafia 2. Okay. I doubt you've played the Mafia games, have you? No. No. It's just like Grand Theft Auto type thing, but this one's set in the 60s. So, I mean, if you like if you like rock music from the 60s, it's great. As soon as you get in the car, like, Jimi Hendrix will start playing. That does sound quite good. Like so, yeah, um, I'm about three or four hours into the game. Uh, about an hour in, um, well, the story goes in a different direction as to what you expect after playing the first hour. I don't really want to give anything away if anyone's mm. going to play it. But you'll, you'll get the vibe that it's going to go one way, and then all of a sudden something happens and it just veers off in a completely different direction. Okay. But... Um, no, it's good fun. If you like that kind of game, it's I guess it's a no-brainer for you to get it. I'm just not quite as... I don't want to say emotionally involved, but do you know what I mean? I'm not as yeah. gripped as I was with, with Mafia 2 and, and other games of that. Um, but moving on to board games. My last games night in Warsaw was a Western-themed night. So we played three Western games. So the first one was Colt Express, which I'd never played before. 
and I saw the little train that gets made. Yeah. Oh, it's great. And uh, <laughs> they, there's basically like treasure inside the train, and you've got a little, uh, you're like bank, uh, tr- train robbers, and yeah. you uh, can move across the top or inside the carriages and pick train up, uh, pick goodies, pick goodies up. And there's also a sheriff inside who sort of moves around. Mm. So if you get caught by the sheriff, you have to go back up to the top of the, the train. Yeah, yeah, I do like how he doesn't actually... He doesn't hurt you. He doesn't shoot at you. <laughs> no, or he try just and take, you yeah. go onto the roof. <laughs> it's like, you've been naughty, now go on the roof. Yeah. <laughs> I, I actually own Colt Express, and I got the uh, the DeLorean promo. Oh, yes. But I, it's funny, because I've only actually played it twice. It, it almost... I don't know who to play it with. It's actually fairly light, so mm. I think it could work with my family, although... My parents, obviously we're all getting older, but they just, they are struggling more and more with new games. Even though I don't think it's particularly complex, I'm a bit wary of introducing it to them. Yeah. And also, it feels like a hard sell to gamers because it looks so light. I think there's plenty of strategy involved, but it just looks like a kid's game. Yeah. There's a lot of, the the mechanism's not something I'd ever come across before, but I'm sure there's other games that do this. But effectively, if you've got four players... You've, you've, you each have a deck and you pick up like five or six cards out of that deck depending and, and then you play there's different actions like climbing up or down or picking up something or punching someone which makes them drop whatever loot they've picked up yeah and then but you have to play a card and then everyone takes it in turn playing one and then it keeps going round until you've all played your cards into a stack and then whoever's the leader for that round will reveal them all one by one and and perform the actions so you have to try and remember what other people are doing to try and plan out yeah. what's going to happen otherwise you'll end up punching empty spaces and trying to pick up when there's no loot on the, on the floor uh, but yeah. that does lead to slightly hilarious consequences when you're punching and there's nobody in the carriage anymore yeah <laughs> but it's called programmable movement ah, and yes. the, the game i can think of that's done it previously and it makes a bit more sense thematically is robo rally and there's a few different versions of that but that you're programming robots and that makes sense yeah I, I really do like Cars Express, but it makes less sense that you're programming cowboys. I did I, yeah. It doesn't quite follow, does it? And it's not the DeLorean, as, as a friend of mine pointed out. It's the time travel car. Oh, okay. Because uh, I can't call it that. Really? I'm sure they did on the Board Game Geek store, but anyway. Did they? <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Uh, so next up, we played Bang, the dice game. Fairly uh, light. Um, reminded me a bit of, um, what's that one you've got? The zombie one. Zombie dice. Yeah. <laughs> just called zombie dice. Just called zombie dice. <laughs> really? I would yeah. say they're quite different. Really? I've only played zombie dice once. I thought it was pretty awful, to be honest. But yeah, right. <laughs> I felt okay. like it was like Yahtzee with, with zombies on it. But <laughs> anyway, I guess it's just the whole rolling dice and then picking ones that you want to keep and then mm. re-rolling ones. I yeah, guess yeah, you have lots of that. dice games that are like that. Yeah. Because they are the main component. Yeah. Like the Dragon Slayer game that I've got, it's just dice, but you have to keep you have to like keep the ones that protect oh, you from it. the dragon. It's more like yes, it's more like that. Okay. Than, than zombie dice. Okay. Um, if you get uh, like I can't remember what the symbols are in Bang now. Oh, there's a dynamite, gun, maybe? dynamite, yeah, maybe guns, okay. guns, and there's healing and stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good, good luck. What is what is we played one round. What is the the victory condition? It's just the, the last condition? man standing, isn't it? Oh, that's the thing. So it's, it's got sort of a out, team like, game. Yeah, I got knocked out. Oh yeah, you've got different roles. So you've got sheriffs and deputy and sheriffs, de- yeah. and the renegade, renegade needs everybody to die, and the outlaws need to kill the sheriff and stuff like that. So. Ah, okay. Yeah, I I literally within the first two rounds I was gone because <laughs> everyone like, was picking on me. Oh, and were Poor you sheriff, an outlaw? I was an outlaw. Oh yes. well, there you go. 
So you yeah. reap what you sow. <laughs> and after that, we played Tiny Epic Western, which you've got, which I haven't had a chance to play yet. Yeah, and you love the little cowboy meeples, don't you? <laughs> yeah, and the bullet dice. And the bullet dice. So uh, they're amazing. Tiny Epic Western. It's amazing how they managed to get so much in that little box because yeah. when it was laid out, <laughs> it's huge. It's huge. So you've got you've got your um, town. town, and you put like there's four suits of playing cards numbered one to five, and you put those in between the buildings. Uh, people place their workers uh, during the course of the game. They're posse. They're posse. <laughs> Sorry, they're not workers. Posse. Yeah, they're posse. You put your you play your posse, and if there's already someone occupying a space that you want, you can battle with them, which is rolling dice, and then you've all got a, a, a card, and you can choose to add that card to your dice roll if you want to. And then the, the one who wins, their posse member stands up, and the other one just lies down flat. So you could have like three or four meeples flat on a, on one location, and one standing on on top of them all. But then you have to resolve who gets the rewards from each location. And the way you do that is when, you, when you've laid it out and you've got the poker cards in between one, you use your card to try and make the best poker hand you can using the, the two cards either side. Yeah. So you could have a straight, you know, if there's a one on one side and a three on the other and you've got two, you've got a straight one, two, three. Or someone else could have, you know, a pair or a flush or things like that. So, yeah, it's it's got a nice mix of poker stuff but also a worker placement posse placement game it is a single player so I do I want to try and play it on my own but I need to find the space clear and large enough to build the town that's not going to be in the middle of the living room floor and therefore in everyone's way <laughs> it did it does say 45 minutes on the box and we did that and we only did like two or three rounds but we were learning the rules and obviously that yeah. always, it's always a thing so we didn't get to play a full game but uh, it's definitely something I'd want to want to play again have you played um, any of the other Tiny Epic games? Uh, so you've got Tiny Epic Kingdom? Yeah, second edition. Yeah, that's the only one we've looked at. Yeah. Galaxies is supposed to be good. Yeah, that's actually the only one I've played. Yeah, it's yeah, it's decent. Uh, I, I can't really give you much insight. I've only played it the once, but uh, no, it was good. Um, I heard there, there was one of the Tiny Epic games that really wasn't well-reviewed. Was that Defenders? Possibly. I think that was the one that wasn't well-received. All the rest sound like they've really hit the nail. So. And there's another one which we'll talk about in a bit. Yes. And then um, after we finished our gaming night, um, I spent a bit of money and bought a copy of Machikoro and the Harbour expansion. And you're blaming me for that. I am blaming you for that because we played it at the Great Indoors. <laughs> yeah, hilariously, I've just got rid of my copy. <laughs> but uh, I still think it's a decent game, so I hope you enjoy it. I, I hope so too. And I bought some of that amazing tape to, oh, keep, to keep all the... Hugo's uh, amazing yeah, tape. Yeah, to keep all the cards together. I was reading actually on The Geek before I bought it that there's some games that... Uh, it doesn't agree with because it like rubs the art off the off the cards. I mean, I, think, I guess it depends on the printing process. Really? Because the whole point of Hugo is that the only thing it sticks to is itself. So how can it rub off? Mm. <laughs> Apparently, some people have reported that after they've had it on games for a while and they've taken them out, there's a slight. Uh, dear. Uh, okay, I've not noticed that, and yeah. I use it in all my games. But there yeah. you go. Maybe they just need to use their games more often. Yeah, that's maybe that's what it is. That's a bit rude, but yeah. <laughs> Well, it's like if you put a rubber band on something for <laughs> yes, years and years yeah, and years, yeah, and then yeah. it petrifies. Then, yeah, then obviously, it's definitely better than elastic bands. <laughs> yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah, I I did order some, and then Amazon sent the wrong size. But yeah, <laughs> yeah they sent yeah. like one inch thick instead of yeah, half. Yeah, they sent me a one inch thick <laughs> instead yes. of half inch thick. Yeah. <laughs> but never mind. Okay, so that's me done. Yep. How about you, Ray? I've been playing a wider variety of things, mostly 
well, entirely computer games. So one of the things I played, well, Catamancer, which I backed a while ago, which actually fulfilled back in September, but it was in one of these many, many hundreds of Kickstarter emails and I was getting married and so I just sort of just went, uh, Marker's Red, go away. <laughs> um, and then I went back to it and it's basically anybody can sign up to it now. It's catamancer.com. Um, but anybody who backed it on Kickstarter, you basically email them, say, hi, this is the account I've created on the website. Can I have my um, Kickstarter stuff? Um, and it's it's basically a sort of Hearthstone with cats <laughs> kind of thing. Except it's more, but it's on a board. So it's kind of like Hearthstone meets chess with cats. Right. Basically, the main draw was the cats. <laughs> Are we thinking that cats, as a, a theme in you know board and computer games, has kind of replaced zombies as the most used? It might, yeah. <laughs> I think it's going that way. I think zombies are still quite. They're still in overused. Yeah. But I've had I've only had a couple of games of that um, because then I got distracted um, and. I got a bit fed up with Path of Exile for the first time in ages because I got stuck on mapping. And so I decided to play Torchlight 2 and actually finished it, whereas four years ago I never finished the story and now I have, so now I can say, hooray, it's finished. <laughs> You'd like Torchlight. Yeah. Because you like Diablo. Who doesn't it's like Diablo? It's the same type of game. Yeah. Isometric uh, 3D Thing. Well, that's good, but my main criterion for a computer game is that it can run on my very underpowered laptop. So <laughs> okay. it depends. Yeah, Diablo true. Two is pretty good for that, but <laughs> yeah, Torchlight's quite small, and Torchlight Two is very small as well. Because I think I downloaded a patch for The Witcher Three at the same time as trying to download Torchlight Two, and the patch for The Witcher Three was bigger than the whole of Torchlight Two. <laughs> Fantastic. So, speaking of The Witch 3, you may have guessed, 16 months after release, I finally started playing it, purely because I was waiting until everybody else I knew played it immediately, and I was just waiting until everybody else sort of forgot about it a little bit, because I didn't want to listen to all their hype while I was trying to play it, but... As soon as I started it, Chris sort of perked up, peeked up from behind his computer and went, What's that music? Is that The Witcher 3? <laughs> yes. You're playing it. Yes. And then periodically he'll be watching me going, Oh, I know where you are. <laughs> so that's not distracting. Is no. <laughs> I didn't make that decision. <laughs> no, I have made some different decisions from him uh, so far. Um, I'm not. Admittedly, I've done over 20 hours. I don't think I'm that far into the story, though. I'm only level 11, and I haven't left Velen. So, considering Chris played 73 hours and 46 minutes, wow. just on the core game, so not with Hearts of Stone or um, Blood and Wine. I still haven't finished that. Um, I, I have at least 50 hours to go to finish the core game and then the two DLCs because I bought them as well because I thought, oh, well, they're out now. I might as well get them. You could knock that out in a week. If I stayed at home all the time, <laughs> yeah. Um, as it stands, I haven't played it in a couple of days because I've just been knackered when I get home. Um, 
But yeah, I'm enjoying that so far. It, I am late to the party, but the party's still good. <laughs> also, the Divinity Original Sin 2 Alpha f- codes finally came to GOG. They came to Steam about two months ago, and I didn't really want to get it on Steam because I wasn't quite sure whether I wanted another game on Steam. Um, because I, I, I'm starting to get paranoid that I have all my games on Steam, and if I lost that account, I would lose, lose a lot. Um, so I waited until the, the Divinity Original Sin 2 code came to GOG, and I've only played sort of a couple of hours. The first the first hour that I played was mostly entirely confusing, because I was just wandering around going, well, what do I do? And just talking to people, and some of them would go, Go away, lizard face. And it's like, okie dokie. From the first hour of Divinity OS 2, it was a bit confusing. And there are quite a few bugs still, but obviously it's still alpha. What type of game is it? Is it, a, is it like a... It's a RPG. Okay. I think it's an isometric RPG or whatever it's called. But... There's lots of you can be lots of different races and, and I haven't played the original, which is probably would be important to play because there's story. So I'm walking around asking people stuff and they're all going, "Oh, this blah blah blah." There's something something source, and I'm like, "Hmm, yes, this would make sense if I'd played the original game and knew the story." But um, I do plan to get the original and hopefully play it before. The second one comes into full, proper release, but I just sort of had a little foray into the alpha. I thought you were looking for the word play, a little play with it, maybe. No, <laughs> exploration of the alpha, but I'm currently stuck on an island and I have no idea what I'm doing, basically. Occasionally I cast spells. But other than that, I have purchased Victor Ran. I have not played it yet because I got distracted by the Witcher. Um, however, Chris has played it and finished it, or at least finished the storyline, and he's put a nice uh, review up on the website. Um, the only other thing is I pre-ordered quite a while ago and completely forgot about Imploding Kittens, which is the expansion for Exploding Kittens, um, and that's arrived. I haven't opened it yet because we're going to open it live on camera. Woo! <laughs> um, and then the only other thing I thought I might mention is... Um, there's a game coming out on the 10th of November called Tyranny, which is made by um, Obsidian and, and Paradox. Um, the guys who made Pillars of Eternity It's based on that engine. But it's, it's another isometric RPG, but it's based on the idea that evil has won. So you are the bad guys. You are the invading force. And, and it's d- sort of... There's not a lot out there about it because obviously they don't want to spoil the um, story before it comes out. But there's a couple of sort of like example videos up on Paradox and Obsidian's YouTube channels. And it, it looks pretty good. And you get to craft spells, which is the thing that is possibly tempting me to pre-order it. But I'm not quite sure. I might just put it on my Christmas list. haven't decided yet. Before we move on to the Kickstarter corner... I got uh, an email the other day inviting me into the closed beta for Gwent, mm. which is the card game that's in The Witcher 3, which they're moving into a standalone 
thing. So I've had a bit of a play with that. It's basically the same game, but they've put a few extra mechanics in there. Yeah. And uh, it's very hearthstone in that they give you a basic set of cards, but then you can pay for extra kegs, ah, as kegs. they're called. So you buy a keg of cards, and then this big troll squashes the keg. <laughs> and then you get these these cards coming out. Cool. I'm hoping that I will also get a, a invite into it, because I did sign up, but not as early as you did. Um, I've only won, like, four, five games of Gwent thus far in The Witcher 3, so... Maybe having Gwent alongside The Witcher Three will allow me to practice in in in, in Gwent and then play Gwent in The Witcher Three to, yeah. to win all the cards that are like s- s- quests. Yeah, you have to go and find like special Rare characters ones. in the game. Yeah. Like, I've got like the only one character who's got this got this card, and you've only got one chance to win it because if you don't win it again, that's it. If you don't win it at that time, if you don't win it at that point, and you go and do that quest, and then that guy dies, then you're screwed basically so chris has been giving me handy hints like oh you definitely want to go and play that guy for that particular gwent card now (laughs) don't do any more quests really chris is that because he's about to die just go and play gwent i'm like subtle so you've essentially got a a living walkthrough Uh... yes (laughs) He, he did he did finish literally every single side quest in the entire game Although, although some of them, now that I've been playing them, I'm sitting there going, where the fuck is this treasure? It says it's underground. Where's the door? Where's oh, the yeah, cave? Finding the entrance to the caves when you've got a mark on your map that says, right, the treasure's here. It's like, okay. With a little red arrow yeah, underneath which it. Which part of the map do I have to go to to get underneath so I can go there? Yeah. Know? And then Chris is just going, oh, I don't remember that one. <laughs> oh, now you don't remember when I'm asking you. But yeah, that that's my... Um, bought and playing list let's move on to the kickstarter corner then and uh, just in case anyone didn't realise this Pete didn't realise this we're spelling corner with a K (laughs) kickstarter corner it wasn't clear to me how cool you were until I saw that on the sheet we are the cool kids (laughs) yes on our episode notes it is kickstarter corner with a capital K for kicking K you know what I mean uh, so first off, let's go with one we've both backed, which uh, we alluded to earlier, is Tiny Epic Quest. Yarp, which, which fully funded in nine minutes. Nine yeah, minutes? That's wow. ridiculous. Nine minutes. How much were they going for? Oh, let's have a look. <sighs> Com- compared to what they've got, not that much. I think they were going for something like $10,000 maybe. Mm, it's impressive, isn't it? And then they got it in nine minutes and then they, I can't remember what it, within an hour they'd got something like... Five hundred percent, or yeah, they they their oh, yeah. goal was fifteen thousand dollars. Yeah, they've currently got three hundred and seventy-one thousand dollars. Wow. Well, well, in fact, three hundred and seventy-two because they're only like thirty dollars away from that. But and when does it close? Uh, in twenty-three days. days as of oh my time goodness. Recording, so yeah. <laughs> so people like the tiny effort games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is a, a game that is one to four players. So as usual, solo. Yeah, and uh, the meeples have got little holes in so you can give them shields and. And, uh, they hold stuff. Yeah, basically. Uh, so that sounds like you were extolling the virtues of flag dash because you got to exactly. stick flags into their that heads. That is exactly the same thing. <laughs> but it's good; other people are doing it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and their current. I think they smashed all of their stretch goals in the first day, apart from the social media ones. And now they just keep having to make new ones because people just keep 
giving them more and more money. Yeah, it's mostly more equipment for your meeples to hold, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like lanterns and, and things. Yeah, and little fairies and shovels. Um, but I also thought the with the deluxe edition you get a special extra mission, which is to save the magic mushroom people <laughs> in the magic mushroom kingdom. I and must you, have missed and, that. And you get little... You get little mushroom, wooden mushroom meeple people. Oh. And I thought that was particularly cute as well. Like Toad from Mario. <laughs> a little bit. Um, but yeah, with Tiny Epic Quest, obviously, it's questing as opposed to... Westerning. Westerning or, mm. or gal- galaxying. Yeah. So questing as in, like, you're kind of dungeon crawling, but you have... You have tiles, and you make a map, and you go around the world, and you do your quest and stuff. So yeah, it's it, considering the quality of Tiny Epic Westerns components, I'm expecting good things from. Especially when they smash the goal that <laughs> that yeah. quickly. Yeah, yeah. I, I think all of their games have had good good components. Yeah, they have, and they're, they're all of the games have had fairly good kickstarters. But I think this was the fastest. Yeah. Because nine minutes is pretty damn quick to get $15,000. Yeah. I'm surprised the Kickstarter website didn't fall over. <laughs> yeah. The amount of people trying to pledge at the same time. Uh, so I backed a game called 10 Minute Heist, which unusually for me is a small card game. <laughs> like I haven't got enough of those already. And uh, you essentially play a bunch of thieves trying to steal stuff from the wizard's tower. So you lay all the cards out on the table in, in columns and you start at the top and you work your way down the columns until you get to the bottom so you're effectively starting at the top of the tower and working your way down and you, as you go you steal things or you find like spells you can use to sabotage other players and when you get to the bottom you've escaped the tower and then you have to sell your loot Yeah. and I guess the winner is the person who's got the most points slash gold at the end yep. um, looks fairly straightforward but it's the type of game I like the type of game I can take around to like, family events and yeah. you know get everyone playing so looking forward to that and that funded a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And you've backed one as well? Um, yes, I backed this purely by chance because I only backed it eight hours before it ended. I was just wandering around the Kickstarter website looking for, looking for things to potentially talk about and checking up on some backer surveys and ticking off my list of things that have arrived. And I saw this and I thought, Oh, that looks quite interesting. Oh, it's in England. They're based in England. Oh, oh, I can do a £20 with no postage and packaging so I can pick it up from UKG. Oh, money saving. <laughs> Let's look at this. Um, so it was only £20 and it basically it, it, it's, it's a game where you're trying to survive in a post-apocalyptic world. I suspect you're probably actually despite the fact that this is made in in the uk it's actually probably set in america um because there's some some of the imagery is very obviously american so you have your camp but you're not just like a lone camp in the wilderness you are part of the pioneers program so the pioneers program is like sort of this i don't know overlord corporation not really, you know, um, and you can send people to help the pioneers program to generate sciencey stuff and make crops that can grow in post-apocalyptic wastelands, um, 
and you have to be able to sort of be the best camp so that the pioneers program like you the most so that you can get more resources so that you can defend yourself if rogue gangs what would you call it and there were not going to be armies in post-apocalyptic world are they no, gangs is good yeah yeah roving yeah. roving gangs of hoarding looter type baddies <laughs> think 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 like mad max kind of thing you're if you think of is it mad max 2 where there's there's like the little camp and they've basically got they've got lots of guzzoline and everybody else wants their guzzoline and they're also trying to get the fuck out of there because <laughs> it's a bit of a shit place to live and they want to go somewhere where there's water or whatever it was, I can't remember. They have to be able to defend themselves against all the raiding gangs around. But in terms of the Pioneers Project, you're also trying to keep yourself in good stead with the Pioneer Programme um, Matt's now looking at it on Kickstarter. Looking at all the, the lovely components. Because I'm making terrible nonsense. Yes, there are. there is a lot of stuff that comes with it for only £20, which I also thought was quite good. Um, so you have a, yeah, you have a market um, in the, the, the same sort of manner that lots of games have, like Dale of Merchants has a market, which stuff will move down depending on where when someone buys something and, and the price will go down as, as it gets further along. So you can you can buy stuff from the market, you can sort of recruit wasteland wanderers to help protect you and be like your sort of hero, as it were. Obviously it's finished now because I only backed it eight hours before it finished. Um and yeah that's something for me to look forward to i've never had a game that i've got to pick up from an expo so that also excited me because i'm quite sad oh yes <laughs> you're really in the in crowd now yeah you said you backed it like just before it was due to end though does like john who we know you know john princess as he's also known yeah um he constantly i'm forever getting alerts on kickstarter for games that he's backed that are literally just about to end oh, really? he won't back a game until it's just just before the end of its campaign when he, when he knows it's successfully funded. Okay, he's a strange chap. I, I don't really understand that because <laughs> if it doesn't succeed, you don't then you're not going to lose anything. Yeah. Exactly. So, okay. Well, I'll have maybe it, maybe it's more about the disappointment factor. <laughs> yeah, I don't maybe he doesn't to. want to be disappointed. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that's interesting. I don't know. I also backed something. Uh, anybody who knows me at all well will know I'm not the biggest fan of Kickstarter. Uh, mostly because I don't like shelling out money on games that I'm not going to play for that long. Um, it's very selfish, I know, and I have bought uh, certainly more than one game that was funded on Kickstarter and then I've just picked it up afterwards. But anyway, we'll, yeah. we'll ignore that. Um, so I just decided, I came back from Essen having spent too much money and then I thought I needed to spend a bit more. So I went on to Kickstarter and obviously I backed to steal this game. Uh, but another one caught my eye um, and it's called The End Is Nigh. Uh, so the blurb says, the, his the asteroid hits at midnight, but your bunker's too crowded. Who will you kick out? <laughs> so it's it's... A social deduction game for two to six players uh, and there are cultist refugees in the bunker and you've got to get rid of them because if you don't then you're doomed so you're trying to work out who who the cultist is and you're questioning refugees apparently a refugee can only take so much and after questioning they're exhausted and can't bear to speak to anyone for an hour <laughs> so it's funny because i went on kickstart and i was looking for yeah british companies uh certainly eu friendly anyway 
And there didn't seem to be that many. And this one is an American game, I think. But they had a $1 print and play. And it seemed like an easy print and play. And I am really, I, I am not good with this kind of thing. I, mm. I lack motivation. So I would not normally do print and play. But it seemed quite easy. So I thought for a dollar, you get a nice PDF of it. I mean, I could have uh, bought a copy for $15. But it wasn't clear how much the shipper was going to be. So I thought, well, $1. Uh, my wife's not going to notice that. So I'll just... I'll do that, and if I get get it printed, then I can play this game. Sounds yeah. good. You so, were 143 other people did that, <laughs> apparently. 143 people. That $15 is way too much. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't have anything arrive from Kickstarter. I had Imploding Kittens arrive, obviously, but that's yeah. not Kickstarter. I had three games arrive, all of which have videos on our YouTube channel. Hint, hint. <laughs> if you want to go and watch those. Uh, first up, Dial of Merchants 2 which is obviously the sequel to Dale of Merchants, which was one of my top games of last year that I backed on Kickstarter. It was your favourite game. It was my second. Was Vault, second. Vault Wars was my favourite. Oh, uh, yes. And then, and then this, um, which I've played Dale of Merchants 1 a few times now, um, and it's a, just a deck-building game where the objective is that you build a market stall in front of you, and you have to do eight piles, starting with a total value of one, then two, then three, then four, then five. Um so it's just, but it's just a standard deck building game where you've got lots of junk cards and you have to try and get rid of those and get higher value cards as the, the game goes on. But there are, there are different decks of animal folk which have got different styles of play. And this one is basically the same game but with more different types of animal folk. But you can mix this and the first game together to have like a, a 10 different types of animal. And then you depending on how many players you've got, if there's a three-player game, you'll pick four different... Yeah. Decks. So, so every single time you play the game, you could pick different decks. So it gives the game a lot of variety. And um, the only thing I think it's missing now is a box to put them both in together. Because yeah. even if you take the middle out, out of the box, the insert, it's still not quite. You could fit one and a half games in, but not oh, quite okay. two. But apparently they're going to do in a third one because I saw some comments on the BGG page where someone said, oh, well, when we do Dale of Merchants 3, we'll look at making a big big wooden box that you can put all three games in together. I was like, yes, I'll and then, have that, thank you. What if you didn't have the first E? Well, <laughs> You've got a huge oversized box. <laughs> that would probably be like a, an extra pledge level one. They'll, they'll probably have like a basic <laughs> one, which is yeah. just... Do you, do you want the massive box? Yes, Ple- I do. Pledge at this level. That will probably be your biggest spend of next year or probably, whatever it is probably uh, I also had Scuttle Arrive which is a small pirate theme card game yep. there's a lot pirates is another yeah. up and coming thing these days isn't it yeah there's lots of piratey stuff yeah yeah that be yeah <laughs> was that was that piratey I don't know it sounded German to me <laughs> I don't know you would know <laughs> so yeah and that, that's basically just a uh, draw one play one type of game where everyone's got a card and then you draw one and then you play one of the two cards you've got uh, and you can mess the other players up. Uh, but we've also got the scurvy expansion, <laughs> which uh, adds like an extra dynamic of diseases into the game. Nice. Yeah. Things like that. But you you really liked, you watched the video that I did for this. You loved yeah. the art, didn't you? The art's really, like the art's really cute, but then also just, just the colours that are on the backgrounds are very, there's sort of like kind of watercolour just mix of like colours and I just thought it was very pretty and very calming on the eyes and it's, it's nice to look at oh yes yeah uh, how would you describe uh, I don't know really yeah know. it's <laughs> it's sort of it's sort of like some pale 
pale pastels with like some, I don't know, like cloudy watercolory type bits and bobs. Yeah, I, I'm no connoisseur of art, but I find that quite hard to categorise. But it's very nice. Yeah. Yeah, which I, I thought was nice because sometimes like the background art is either like white or black <laughs> or. It's either Box, boring or there's or... too much of it. And, it's, and, yeah. and sometimes it's a bit sort of either meh or a bit like, eh, makes everything look a bit busy. Mm. Um, whereas I thought that was, it's it's very, I don't know, it works well. Yeah. I would say it was quite unique. <laughs> yeah. Oh, definitely. Take a look. <laughs> uh, the last game I had arrived this month was Queen of the Hill, which was a game where, if you watch the video, I talked about this, but there were two editions of the game which were the same, but they just got different art styles. So you've got Queen of the Hill, which is the anime uh, one with lots of ladies with ample... Um, assets, shall we say, <laughs> as is typical of that kind of art style. Yeah, and but also one with cute little monsters. Um, so of course, Mad Bat's <laughs> the one with boobies. I have to say, looking at that, you've made an interesting choice. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not as bad as um, there was a game I backed a few months ago called Battle Decks, mm. which was anime, and that one was a lot more uh, risque, risque mm. than this one. This one's not so bad. This is actually more your typical st- sort of anime. What you would get in a normal, normal like cartoon or something that would be acceptable for American audiences oh, on yeah, television, absolutely not on the internet. Um, but there's a it's a push your luck type of game where you will draw cards from the deck and you have, you keep going and you can either decide to stop at any time or there's like these uh, evil um, people in there and if you draw one of those then your turn ends immediately and the next player has to carry on and go. Um, haven't played it yet, um, but apparently it's only a ten or fifteen minute game. Cool. Well, most of the ones I back are that sort of yeah. thing anyway. So. Filler games. Is that yeah. your uh, attention span? Though? Yeah. <laughs> I'm surprised I've been podcasting this one, <laughs> to be honest. It's only because I remind you. <laughs> so that's what we've had, uh, Kickstarter. Um, so I think that brings us neatly to the end of the episode. Yeah. So everyone knows where they can get hold of us, but we'll go through it anyway. Um, you can follow us on Twitter, at Togcast, or you just search Facebook for The Offline Gamer. You can also go to our website directly at www.offlinegamer.co.uk or we've also just got SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com forward slash offlinegamer. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, you can email us uh, offlinegamerpodcast at gmail.com or just go to the website and there's a contact us form you can fill in and it'll come straight to us. Um, you can also find us on iTunes by searching for The Offline Gamer, and you can find us on YouTube by searching for The Offline Gamer Podcast. Oh, that's true. We've been, we've been neglected to advertise our YouTube channel. You have to search for the full The Offline Gamer Podcast, because there's a couple of other people who've called themselves Offline Gamer, who are clearly not as good as us. Outrageous. Absolutely not. Ridiculous. So, Pete, thanks for joining us. You're very welcome. We might get you on again. So. Well, I'm going off to Dragon Meet next month, which is apparently the second biggest board game convention. Uh, it's kind of more RPGs, but anyway. So next month, so maybe I could report back on Where's that? That's in London. It's okay. Hammersmith. Right. That'll be fun. This is not a six-hour drive. Not this time. <laughs> Unless you get stuck on the M25. Oh, don't. No, no. I'll be <laughs> in the train. <laughs> yeah. So, yes, thanks, Pete, for coming on and talking to us all about Essen. It's lovely to have extra people on. So that is us for today. That is episode 15. Gosh, we're getting into high numbers now. So we'll see you all next month. Keep an eye on the website as obviously we've got some unboxing videos going up, reviews, random stuff, 
And uh, yeah, get in touch. Keep in touch. And we'll see you later. Bye. Bye. You did this last time. I know, I always mess up the... uh, (laughs) the You you just... You do it. Well... Wait until he's finished. Well, at least you can see what level he's at. (laughs) He's higher than me. Mm -hmm.